Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Welcome to episode two of Run This World, a podcast that features visionaries who are creating change in the world. These are people who are called to share their messages and are doing something about it. People who will inspire you to create positive forward change in your own worlds. The premise of the show is that you will listen to it while you're out on a training run. The average 5K time is 36 minutes and 38 seconds. That's an 11.47 minute mile pace. Each interview will be roughly long enough to get you through your 5K run and leave you with enough inspiration to get after it again next week. Today's episode features Molly Barker. Molly is a thinker, a questioner. She's wildly curious. She's a self-described gentle provoker. Most notably, she's the founder of Girls on the Run. After retiring from that incredible organization with over 200 chapters serving over 200,000 third to eighth grade girls a year, Molly didn't just sit on her laurels. As you'll soon learn, she has continued to start things. The Naked Face Project and her current project, the Red Boot Coalition, are making huge change in the world through what may be viewed as the most powerful tool we have, conversation. After you listen to this podcast, you will have a chance to support Molly's Red Boot Ride through an exciting Indiegogo campaign that is launching as we speak. I know you're going to want to be a part of this incredible movement too. In today's episode called Living Authentically, Molly and I get down and dirty. We discuss the magic power of running, what it means to her and how her relationship with running formed the foundation for unarguably the most important girls running program in history. We talk about alcohol and share personal stories about how alcohol abuse affected both of our lives, even as we forged careers centered around the power of athletics. We discuss how Girls on the Run has served over 1 million girls now and the power it has on their families. You'll learn about a concept called the Girl Box and how Girls on the Run encourages girls to avoid said Girl Box. We talk about Molly's experience with the Naked Face Project. This one's very cool. And finally, we learn about the Red Boot Coalition, a new movement that Molly has started based on 11 steps that help unite people in today's polarized world. You'll learn about how you can get involved with her exciting new project, the Red Boot Ride. Molly just launched a fundraising effort on Indiegogo's generosity platform, and you can help bring her vision to fruition with a donation as small as 10 bucks. So let's get started. All right. I'm so excited to welcome Molly onto the show. Congrats, Molly. You're the first official guest ever on the show. And for everybody listening, you don't know this, but we had to try once and fail due to, let's just call it, I don't know, technical difficulties. (laughs) So here we are on take two. And so I feel, Molly, like I really, really know you already, but I'm really excited to get you to know you more and for all of our listeners to get to know you. You have quite a message. 
Same here. I love it. Um, Okay. So as you know, this podcast is all about running. And while we are very excited to get into this crazy brain of yours that's been running since you were born, um, the podcast is intended to be for people who may listen to it when they're out on their average 5K run. And so the average 5K time in the U.S. is 36 minutes and 38 seconds. So that's sort of what we're aiming for here, an 1148 mile talking pace, right? So running is is important. It's not the theme of the show, but it's part of what we all have in common and, and uh, health and fitness and living a, a healthy lifestyle is very important. So with that in mind, I know a little bit about your background because I've done some research, but I would love it if you could share what running means to you and a little bit of your history with running. Absolutely. So I started running when I was about 14 or 15 with my mom, who was in her early 50s. And this was in the mid 70s. So it was a little bit odd for a woman like her to just start running. But she did. And so in the morning, the two of us would set off on these amazing runs, first a mile, and then we worked our way up to like a half marathon. And there was something really special about that time of day. It's still the time of day that I prefer to run. And I've, I've shared this story so much, but it really is when all those negative voices, especially during adolescence, those negative voices just drifted away and I was present. I felt very powerful when I ran and translated that certainly into my later years when I started Girls on the Run. The idea was to bring that same sense of power and fortitude and even sanctuary to young women. You know, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that, maybe not with their first step. A lot of people find the first step to be pretty hard and maybe don't think this is for them. But one thing that really grabbed me, so I've watched all your TED Talks and they're awesome. You've done like a 5,000 TED Talks. TEDx, There's a, there is a difference. Yeah, TEDx. That's true. Yeah. That's true. TEDx. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you talk about your mom in a, in a little more detail. And one of the things that really grabbed me was this idea of the magic of sweating. Yes. Yes. So this was in the 70s, seriously. And I had never had or, you know, a role model or seen a woman sweat like she did. We're, we're all big sweaters in our family. And she would come back in the morning and literally be dripping onto the kitchen floor. And I thought that was sort of gross and kind of cool both at the same time. So when she asked me to go run with her, I actually set out the door pretty joyfully because I had a role model, someone who loved running. So I didn't know what to expect, but I just thought it would be amazing. And it was. Oh my gosh. I love this concept of two polar uh, different concepts coming together, like gross and cool at the same time. I think there's some other things we might talk about that hit on that too, but that's really true. And a lot of runners, same thing. Once you get started running, you're like, ew, that person's blowing snot out their nose while they're running. That's gross, but kind of cool because now it doesn't drip down their face. Well, it is amazing for any of the new runners that might be listening. There is this kin, this sisterhood, brotherhood at the end of a long run. Your endorphins are flying. I look around and people are met. They're a mess. And yet... I don't see the mess. There is something really, really wonderful about that space. 
it's very leveling, you know, everybody's sort of the same. Well, and you know, um, I think you're right. I love that where the pros and the amateurs can all line up together the start of a race. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty rare occurrence. We're all in the same playing field. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. And that's the one thing it's funny. Um, I'll just jump to this very quickly at girls on the run. Um, one of the things that we started back when we, when we started it was this notion that everybody has their own pace. And I think in the early nineties, a lot of people running might've been intimidated to show up for a race because they weren't fast enough. And what I loved about what girls on the run did from the very beginning was tell the girls, you know, you can skip, hop, jump, cartwheel, just do your thing and get from point A to point B as best you can with a smile on your face. And I think that in some ways has revolutionized a lot of the the running races since then. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I agree. And I think this, you said everyone has their own pace. People forget that. We get super caught up in comparing ourselves to other people in everything, not just running. That's a literal example. Um, and I love that you're taking your own experience. What, what drove you, what you found as a young woman, 14 years old, and you're giving it back. So maybe we should segue a little bit into Girls on the Run and you know, this is an important chapter in your life. Why did you feel the need to start this? How did it go from being an idea in your head to a real thing? You know, um, so it's interesting, Nicole, when I was 14, 15, I really found a love for running. Um, and I say that I found also a love for drinking. Um, and I don't mean to sound, you know, humored by that, but I was just trying so hard to fit in and be liked and be loved and be popular. And I think a lot of young women experience that. So for 32 years, uh, I struggled with trying to fit in. And running was my reprieve where I felt strong and empowered. And drinking and partying sort of filled the need of wanting to be liked and loved and all those things. So uh, when I was 32, I hit bottom and set off on a run, July 7th, 1993, I will never forget it, where I just sort of woke up and realized that there was more to me to bring to the world and that I was good enough. I was whole. I was just good enough. And so started being surrounded by amazing people and three years later started Girls on the Run. And the idea was the same, is to give girls the tools to know that they are good enough, they are beautiful, they are whole, they are fantastic. And really that's sort of the, the starting points for what Girls on the Run is about. You know, I uh, I relate to the story on so many levels. Um, why is it that somehow these extreme things do go together? Again, the polar differences, like running and having a life that's centered around running yet drinking and doing things to yourself that kind of they're counterproductive to what running can do physically for you and emotionally. And I bring this up because same as you, I had the same exact issues. A friend of mine, you know, people, I stopped drinking eight or nine years ago and I had a problem with alcohol my whole life. And anyone who knows me from high school and college would just be like, yeah, it's probably a good thing she stopped. <laughs> but somehow when we're young, we go, you know, that's what kids do, right? But when you keep doing it through your life and you use it as a crutch, like you said you did, then there's a problem. 
And uh, a friend of mine, people ask all the time, oh, why don't you drink? Which I think is a really funny question in the end. (laughs) And a friend of mine once was actually someone asked my friend, why doesn't Nicole drink? This is just like, what's the big deal here? But my friend goes, you know what? I think she was too good at it. (laughs) I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Which I thought was funny because you kind of had a similar concept. You know, it was, it was an important part of your life. It was. And I think for me, um, you know, life is messy. It's, it's, there's nowhere to get. Like I kept thinking, well, when I get there, I'll be happy. And what I've discovered is that happiness is, is, is kind of now, like I don't want to delay joy. And I, I really believe that I look to drinking to help uh, cope with this dissatisfaction with now and running actually was a way to be in the now. So I don't know, somehow integrating all of this has brought me to where I am today. So I have no regret for anything that's happened in my life, truly. And I'm just grateful that I'm here now. I mean, I really, by, you know, by the grace of something much greater than myself, made it through. And, you know, here we are today. You know, what I'm hearing a lot of is this ability to center yourself and connect with yourself. And not everyone has that. And I do believe, like you just said, running is the thing that allows you to be now. And so kudos to you and amazing job moving away from the things that were holding you back. And look what happens. A new door opens three years later after your epiphany run, sort of what that sounds like to me, Girls on the Run started. And look how many lives you're changing. Will you tell tell us a little bit about Girls on the Run, what you do, how many girls are affected? Absolutely. So it is funny. I, You know, I have to remember, I started it 20 years ago. A lot of the kids think I'm dead. Um, but a lot of the girls in the program, <laughs> because like a founder of something is, they're, they're dead people. The founder of the Declaration of Independence, things like that. But 20 years ago, I started the program with just 13 girls and had no intention of growing it past my own little world. You know, I just wanted to do something good, but it did tap into something. So the program grew very organically by word of mouth this past year, thanks to an amazing team of people in our national office and all across the country. The millionth girl went through the program. So you know, we look forward to continuing to impact girls in the same manner. So it's it's amazing. It's a 10-week program. We help girls develop the tools to stay true to who they are and in the process train for a 5K. Wow. I can't even grasp a million. A millionth girl. Like, oh, wow. And, and the ripple effect. Like, are there parents and families, are their lives changed and improved through this process? Yeah. And that's, you know, I can't fathom it either, frankly. Um, You know, maybe when I'm really old and I can look back and see, but I still can't get it. You'll never be old, Molly. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, families, like it's so wonderful to go to the Girls on the Run 5Ks and you'll see, uh, you know, a dad will come running up to me in his tutu or tiara or, you know, cape or whatever Girls on the Run thing he's wearing and tell the story of how he lost weight and started training for a 5K to be able to run it with his daughter. And, you know, how it just changed everything about his life. So these things are just beautiful to hear. And I hear them all the time. 
It's like a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about it in other places and other projects you're you're doing. It's you do good in the world, it ripples. And if you do it with pure intentions, which you did and are doing, it it definitely has that effect. It's so amazing because you know when I'm talking to younger people, I'm like, if 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 you start now in being kind. Yes, there's a ripple effect. And over the course of, of your life, you'll have a wake behind you that's huge. Literally, you can impact millions of people with kindness by just beginning now. Yep, you're right. You know, I think um, one of the things that hit me too in my research and what I know about Girls on the Run is this uh, phrase you coined. Because you mentioned being kind and kind to yourself. Um, the girl box. Mm-hmm. Like, tell What is the girl box? Why is that important? Yeah, I remember in, it was 1998, I was trying to come up with a, a metaphor for what girls experience or what I experienced. And I, I came up with the girl box. It's that imaginary place girls go around middle school where we begin to conform to some set of standards that are completely unrealistic. And yet every a lot of girls try. So, you know, the girl box varies from group to group, geographics, ethnicity, economics, but it is there, you know, and for me, a girl in the 70s, I'm a a white female growing up in a middle upper income neighborhood, there was a weight requirement, there was a hair color requirement, I had to have a boyfriend, kind of had to dumb myself down. And um, so I think Girls on the Run helps girls become aware of that cultural girl box and gives them the tools to stay out of it. You know, I think um, the, the requirement that's the word that sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there should be requirements for people like kindness and generosity and whatever those things may be. But things like having the right haircut, that should never be a requirement, but it is at that age. And girls learning the, you know, getting the tools to be able to recognize it and the strength to not fall into it, I think is very important. Yes. And and it's a perceived requirement. You know, the older I've gotten, now remember, I mean, I have more perspective, right? I've lived a, a longer time and I realize that all of that is made up. And yet when I'm in middle school, it feels real. I mean, it feels like it's real. The requirement feels real. And I've noticed with my own children, just the struggles they've had with acknowledging that it's made up, but still wanting to fit in. It, it, it's all, it's life. Well, and and now that you have kids, you see it even more clearly. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. Okay, two more questions on Girls on the Run, and we got to keep moving because you have so many other amazing things. Okay, so what was the magic pill? Why did Girls on the Run work? Well, I remember when I was starting it, there was a, a fellow named Russell Pate. He worked at the University of South Carolina, and he was an exercise phys, and after a few years, he he came up to me and he said, "What are you doing? Like you're, we've tried for a decade to get kids to run, and you're getting them to run. They love it. What are you doing?" And he said, "How do you measure that?" And I said, "Well, it's hard to measure love." And I genuinely believe that we began first through love, and then not suggesting that anybody needed fixing. It's not like girls were broken or needed an improvement in self-esteem. It was about helping them see what they already had. 
And that is a very different space to start from, that you are enough. I'm not an adult trying to make you stronger or better. You already are strong enough. And I think that that energy just has carried throughout the program. Pure intentions, mm-hmm. starting with love, love of yourself, yep. love of those around you, love of your body. I love that. I love it. <laughs> love. I love you, Molly. <laughs> well, and I'm not sure, you know, it sort of depends on people's perspective. A researcher would certainly give a different answer than I've given. So I think what I also love about Girls on the Run is that it's available to everybody and their own perspective and their own story. So if you ask someone else, they would, they would certainly give a different response. But that's my take on it. Yep. And that's an important take. Yeah. And it, and it leads me a little bit into the, my last question about girls on the run. So you're not active, you know, you walked away to let it run and operate as a successful organization that it is. Why? What were you called to do that led you away from girls on the run? Well, you know, our, our vision for girls on the run is about helping girls recognize and activate their greatest human potential. And I began to feel a little bit boxed in there. I'm an innovator. I like gently provoking people outside their comfort zones, which is what was all, Girls on, on the Run is, was all about when I started it. But I just felt like I needed to do a few other things in the world before I wasn't here. So I, I retired and it was hard and it has been hard, but I think we're past it now. Like the team there is doing amazing things and I'm so proud of them. You know, one thing I'm proud of you because it's a hard thing to do because there's a comfort that you had with staying with that organization. You could still be there. You could be there forever, but you you felt it inside yourself. I need to keep provoking gently. <laughs> I need to keep change making in the yeah. world. So you yeah, know, one quick thought on that though is, uh, for you, for for from the outside view, it might have looked comfortable for me to stay, but for me, it was uncomfortable to stay. So I took what felt like an easier path for me because I'm more comfortable in innovative, uncomfortable spaces, if that makes sense. So uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it was hard, but it was wasn't as hard as it might have might appear. It was just I yeah. had to do it. Yep. I get it. I mean, it's probably kind of like a divorce where at a certain point you're just like, I'm done. Yeah, I need to move on. I'm feeling the pressure inside. It's building. It's yeah. time. And it's doing great. And I'm so pleased by that. It's like an amicable divorce. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Well, Okay. I also, I'm going to move on to one of the other big projects that I know you've done in the last couple of years, the Naked Face Project. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but I have to because it's, it pulled me in. Yeah. Like I, I got on your site, oh, a while back. I was sort of following you and stalking you a little bit. What's Molly up to? And I was like, wow, this really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to let you describe what the Naked Face Project is and how it came to be. And one of the things that um, I love about you and that I see in everything you do is that there's a lot of this sort of self-centering, but it's also things are often driven by relationships and working with other people. So I, I even love the story about how it came off, the, you know, got off the ground. Oh, yeah. So we have a lesson in Girls on the Run about advertising you know, and air, airbrushing and all of that sort of thing and advertising. And it was 
happened on more than one occasion. If I was teaching that lesson, a little girl would point out, you know, Molly, if you tell me that I'm beautiful just the way I am, why are you wearing makeup? Or why do you color your hair? Or do you shave your legs? <laughs> and so another coach, a woman named Caitlin Boyle and I decided to do an experiment. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't know why I wear those. I didn't know why I did those things. I'd been doing them since I was 11 or 12. So we went 60 days without using any feminine products whatsoever. No push-up bras, no skirts, no pantyhose, no hair drying, nothing. You know, we just no makeup to see what that would feel like. Well, okay. I'm interrupting because are you a Southern girl too? This is like extra hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really began to explore and see a lot of my Southern roots in this experiment because for some of my Northwestern friends, right? Northwest United States, they were like, so what? (laughs) So what? You're going without makeup. (laughs) But for me and Caitlin, it was like, well, so what? Like, what are we going to do? You know, this is, this is interesting. So what'd you get out of it? It was probably uh, one of the most empowering things I've ever done. Um, First of all, it was humbling that it even mattered. You know, there was something embarrassing, maybe a little bit or humbling that I even cared. But once I got further in, I realized that this was much deeper. This was about a gender construct. It was about why women do the things we do in order to be pretty or to be liked. And so um, when I got all done, I actually, the first thing I did was go buy the biggest pair of high heels I've ever owned in my life. And, you know, now I can choose. I feel like the using makeup and these things to adorn myself are choices, not things that I'm doing to satisfy some social norms. Oh, you shifted the power. Yes, I did. That's so cool. So now you're choosing if you want to dress up, put on makeup, shave your armpits. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my God. The, the armpit but, thing was the biggest deal of all. <laughs> oh, that I would I would struggle with that. I think most of the people listening would. I, yeah. I haven't spent time with unshaved armpits. I don't even know what that would feel like. And you didn't even wear deodorant, did you? No, no. And I, that did wasn't an issue for me. I'm just not one of those people with a strong, you know, body aroma. But uh, the underarm deal with the hair under there was pretty, pretty uh, interesting. People's response to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm this is like the adult girl box. It's like the woman box because there's a requirement. Before this project, you felt there were requirements. Later, after the project, you could choose what you wanted to do. But wow, that's kind of cool. It is. And I have a real appreciation afterwards for how free my life actually is. Uh, I don't work in a corporate setting. I am bound to nothing, you know, really. I, I am truly... I guess, for lack of a better term, self-actualized, I can pretty much float through life doing what I wish. I mean, I'm not going to hurt people. Um, You know what I'm saying? So, you know, if I were in a corporate environment, I might still feel like there was a requirement. I don't know. I'm not in one, so I don't know. Well, and that's true. And, you know, a lot of people listening are, but they can relate to this on other levels. And this word freedom, it's huge. 
you're self-actualized. You are. I mean, not everyone is. And, and people are listening to you going, I want to be self-actualized. I want to, you know, dig into myself. I would say, go do the naked face mm. project for 60 days. And then after that, you're going to be ready for Molly's next thing, which we're about to dig into, which is also about connecting and having relationships and being able to communicate and not being intimidated. These are all things that this is who you are. This is what's so cool is to watch the waves that you're making in the world and how they literally mirror who you are inside, which is just a generally good person with pure intentions. This is my take. So I want to talk about the next thing you're doing because it's huge it's a really important week for you. You're launching a really big initiative. Um, I want you to make a big announcement. So go ahead, share with us. What are you doing now? Well, so in 2014, I founded uh, another program called the Red Boot Coalition. And that program is trying, or is, it isn't trying, it is actually helping diminish a lot of the us and them, the anger and vitriolic dialogue we have throughout communities in America. And we do this by following a program that I wrote with the help of some people where we create spaces for compassionate listening and honest sharing. The biases fall down and we have human beings seeing each other for who they are. So um, this week we're announcing a, a project that we are taking. Uh, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin, Nicole. So you know uh, what? Let's di- let's yeah. talk more about Red Boot before yeah. we yeah. before we go into what it's turned into and the really cool way that other people can get involved. Tell us more about it. Like, yeah, we'll go on your website and look, and we'll send people to your site. But lead us through the foundation, even why it started. Sure. So after I retired from Girls on the Run, I was asked to serve on a commission in Washington, D.C., looking at how we might encourage a more civil dialogue among our elected leaders. And this is where people either tune out or laugh really hard. Um, and, you know, this, this is so relevant to me because I'm working with kids and I'm deeply concerned about the leadership in our nation and how people talk to each other and treat each other. This goes against every grain of my being. So when I was asked to serve on this commission, I was like, yes, I'll go. And after two years, I walked away from the program feeling frustrated and and bordering on cynical because I just didn't feel like the, the needle was moving forward at all. So I decided to go out and interview hundreds of Americans. Why do you think we're so angry? Why are we so polarized? And took off on a road trip that took me from Charlotte to Las Vegas, and I came back a very changed woman. I I just listened to Americans and heard that really, really what everybody wants is to feel, you know, to be heard, to be understood, and to know that they are loved. And that was the missing link in leadership. We don't, you know, our leaders are not listening. They're not loving. And that's what Red Boot is about, is is shifting. It's like getting people out of the leader box and and reframing it. You know, it's funny because when faced with frustration and, you know, kind of a, 
career direction decisions, most people wouldn't be like, you know what, I'm going to go on a road trip and interview hundreds of people and have really intimate conversations (laughs) about their beliefs. But this is who you are. You can't sit by and let a system that's not working continue to not work. Well, I'm wildly curious. It's back to when I was in sixth grade and somebody defined what pretty was. I'm like, who made that decision? What committee is saying, okay, pretty looks like this? Well, I feel the same way about leadership. What committee has decided that leadership means treating people with disrespect? That's not, what, who, who made that decision? So I'm, I'm wildly curious. How did we get there? And that's why I went out and interviewed all these people. So when, you know, it's this us versus them rhetoric that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I feel that for sure in many of the issues in our country, but there's always going to be people who disagree on issues. So how does Red Boot help with that? Listen, it's, it's, it's oh my gosh, listening is the magic. So for example, um, I had breakfast this week with a gentleman who is on an opposite side of an ideology than I am. And he's part of the Red Boot Coalition. So we had breakfast and we just listened to each other. Now, the wonder of that is I see him as a human being, not as what he believes. And so the two of us are now able to work on a project that's, that's going to bring both ends of an idea together and figure out, so, you know, come up with solutions that involve everybody. And so it's about building trust. Listening is it's so simple. Listening to someone with an open heart builds trust. And that's what's lacking right now. Well, and I'm hearing like a lack of judgment because people, yeah, yeah. yeah, people listen, but in their head, they're kind of like, yeah, right. Or I don't, you know, there's, there's still a judgy kind of atmosphere a lot. Yes. You've nailed it. So the, the key to what Red Boot is doing, we call it compassionate listening. So it's listening without an agenda. It's listening with curiosity to really want to, you know, go, Underneath the, the difference is here's the difference. Instead of going why with a negative tone, it's like why. You see the difference. One is oh, with yeah. curiosity, and one is with judgment, and it's that simple as shit. And that's really hard on email because you can't really put your tone into the why on email. <laughs> you can try emojis and stuff, but they don't work, and that's partly why what we're doing is about face to face. We. We are very uh, reticent, very strong. We feel very strongly that these these encounters need to be face to face, and that's why I went out and talked to people. I completely relate to this. Um, we get emails sometimes from people who are really angry and feel that it's important that they share why they're so angry with skirt sports for something, you know, whatever it is, and. I absolutely know that they do not expect a real human to get back to them. And so when I do, which I often do in these uh, emotional, heartfelt emails we'll get, most of the time they don't even write back. And I, it's really interesting to me the way that our community has changed so much because you would never say that to someone's face, but you can write it on an email and hurt them. So true. And uh, yeah, that's why... The face, that, exactly. That's why the face-to-face is so important. And the internet really has been, is part of the polarizing 
effect, right? You know, we can kind of get tangled up in our own group think. And uh, that's why, you know, we, the, our meetings are in public places where anyone can attend. You know, when you go, um, after the, after you listen to this, you're going to get on and you're going to look up the Red Boot Coalition. Uh, you're going to see that there's 11 questions that Molly, you can just tell they came to you. Um, and they're all important. So maybe you can share a little bit about what this 11 question foundation is. Sure. So, um, when I got back from the trip, I realized that I was having encounters with people that I had longed for while I was in Washington, heartfelt experiences where we've actually listened to one another. And so I came back and I thought, what was happening? So I wrote out what we call the 11 steps. And these are ways to engage with another human being that break down these biases and really have two people encounter, you know, experiencing each other. So, for example, one of my favorite steps is step seven. We came to see that despite wanting at times to be right, we best serve the world by seeking first to understand and then be understood. We humbly put aside our own agenda and listen with our whole heart before responding. We are present. And so, you know, the questions in our, what happens is we get in meetings and we talk about why is it so hard to just listen? Why do I feel like I need to be right? What are some ways that I can get present with another human? What are some tactics? And it's just an interesting conversation. That's what happens in the meetings. It, this is so, it's so cool because a lot of these are uh, like basic, important principles yeah. and we forget about them. It's, number one yeah. is probably, I can see why it's number one. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read it? Sure. It's, it's step one. We came to see that despite sometimes feeling helpless, angry, and even apathetic about the current course of human events, We each play an essential role in our communities, our families, and our lives. We matter. And that that step came from listening to so many people on that trip who were frustrated, actually heartbroken, heartbroken by what they were experiencing in their communities with the, the anger and the vitriol, right? And they were like, what good can I do? I'm so small. I don't matter. And, you know... Yes, you do matter. You do matter. There are hundreds of people in your community every day that count on you. You matter. And that's, you know, the the crux of the whole thing. I love it. I agree. I think once people take that to heart and understand that they do matter, they are important. What they have to say and what they think is important in this world, that helps them break through that initial barrier. And once I realized that I matter, that I'm not a mistake, you know, I'm, I can't be a mistake because I'm here. Um, then suddenly when I look at someone else, they matter. And, and they're not, you know, so-and-so who loves his guns or is anti-gun. He's like, that's him. That's a man. He matters. I will listen to him. And that's what, uh, that's how those biases seem to fall down, you know. We see the human instead of the ideology. Yep, and it's very hard to do that unless you're face-to-face. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to run a little bit long today. We're at 36 minutes and seven seconds because I want to give you as much time as you want to talk about what you are launching and how people can get involved and support this amazing vision. Well, and I'm not, it won't take long to explain it. I just want people to help us. So I've been approached by a wonderful woman named Sarah Batista. She's an amazing film producer and director. And she said, Molly, let's do that red boot ride again. But this time, let's film it. Let's take these stories. Let's listen to Americans. Let's listen with compassion and create a mini series that we can share with all of America. So in June of this year, that is our hope. We're going to put eight people from a wide variety of backgrounds into a Winnebago and travel across the country, make 11 stops, hold 11 town hall red boot meetings and show what is possible when we listen with compassion and allow people to share. And so that's where I'm really, you know, wanting and needing help. We've, we've got a, uh, a generosity campaign. It's a division of Indiegogo where we need to raise $240,000. It's a lot of money. And yet I believe it's so critical to the, to the American conversation right now. So that means that people can get on Indiegogo, which is a crowdfunding platform. And I believe mm-hmm. this is on the uh, f- philanthropy site or uh, platform they have, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can donate. They can donate they can as little or as much as they want to support this vision. Yes. And, you know, there's a part of me that just loves the idea of people, lots of people donating a little bit of money. Uh, and I would probably be, you know, kick myself for saying that, but I really would love to have more people involved than just a few with a lot of money. (laughs) So what we're doing is the cities or communities that have the most contributors, we're going to take the top city with the most contributors and make them one of our stops and feature them in this mini, in this mini series. So we haven't got all 11 cities yet. And the top one will be picked by people who, who contribute. So you're going to see a link um, after this, a podcast where you can get on and check it out. You can look at their map. You're going to see exactly what they're doing. And there's a few like really fun things that stand out. First of all, 10 people on a Winnebago. And actually, we've, we've had to limit it, bring, bring it down to eight. Eight, eight people still a lot. And I'm imagining like the real world Red Boot Coalition of people who are listening and amazing. And hopefully you're not having any major, uh, you know, disputes break out. And if you do, you're going to have a lot of people there who can help mitigate them because you've all got some mad skills. Yeah. And just among our group, I mean, we're going to be kind of trapped with each other for a month. So we're going to be practicing red boot in a big way with each other. That's true. And so you've got a couple of kiddos, correct? I do. Um, And they're older. So they'll be holding down the fort back here with my three dogs and three cats, hopefully. And we'll be communicating certainly on a regular basis, but you know, they think what I'm doing is really cool. And I'm, I'm so glad they do. You know, you are a role model to so many and it, I'm sure starts with your children uh, in the strongest tie you can possibly have, but it moves on from there. And I just am so in awe of what you're doing. I believe that there are certain people that are built to drive change in the world and you're one of them. 
And for all those those of you listening who are frustrated with the way our our country is operating and our government is not listening, I encourage you to go support, invest uh, a little bit of money into the Red Boot Ride and help Molly get this vision going. Thank you so much. Gosh, thank you. Yep. Well, I'm very passionate about this. Like you can tell, you've probably heard my energy escalate as we've had this conversation because I just think it's time. I just think it's time. It's time. You're right on. And why wait? You know, I want to end with one last nugget from you, and it can tie into anything you've done or anything you haven't done yet. If you could give people one golden nugget where that, that will help them run their worlds in a way that they didn't know they could, what would it be? Oh, wow. I would say what has helped me and uh, I think, I think in, it's to be still to just find some time in the day to still the mind. I know that sounds so cliche, but it is a very, very fast-paced world, and it is in those moments of stillness where I know that I matter and I can find ground under my feet. So however that shows up for people, I would suggest they do that. I love it. That is a perfect way to wrap this amazing and inspirational podcast. Molly, I love you. I cannot believe we haven't met face to face. We're going to have to change that someday. Maybe on the Red Boot Ride. You're going to stop by Boulder? Maybe not. Don't know yet. Don't know yet. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, Molly, it's been a, a pure treat. Thank you, Nicole. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Run This World, Living Authentically with our guest, Molly Barker. As you heard, Molly's exciting Red Boot Ride is live and needs support. You can donate $1, $10, $25, and amounts up from there. Molly loves the idea of many people donating small amounts. It's the ripple effect of many small donations that will help help her start a revolution. Go to the Red Boot Ride page on Indiegogo's Generosity website and donate now. You can find a link to it on the show notes on NicoleDeBoom.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. I want to hear your thoughts, feedback, and any suggestions you have for future guests, people who have a big vision and are making change in the world. So that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to run this world in a bigger and better way than you have before. So have a great day, and I'll see you next time on Run This World.